Hello everyone, welcome to the Steve Hilton Show. Uh, we've got some really great information to share with you today, um, provided to us by our friend Susan Shelley, who's just written the most fantastic piece on homelessness. You may have seen it if you uh, follow Susan on Twitter or me on Twitter. Um, and it just has so much great information ab about this central question. How is it that California has spent roughly $20 billion on homelessness, and yet the problem seems, not seems, is just getting worse and worse? Susan explains that in great detail and has constructive uh, solutions to discuss. She joins us. Um, and then after Susan, we got a conversation with Bill Asaley. Do you remember Bill Asaley? He had, Bill, I, we, I sort of jokingly call him Bill with the Bills now. He's a, he's a new member of the state legislature. Um, we've talked to him before about a couple of the bills that he's introduced, uh, which are just so smart. Uh, one of them on gun violence, particularly, where he, where he you know, addressed the issue, uh, if you remember, that actually despite all the rhetoric from Democrats about gun violence and gun safety and all the rest of it, they've actually made the penalties for committing a violent crime with guns lower. And he wants to put them up to what they were before as a deterrent to gun violence. Do you remember that conversation? Very smart new legislator. He has got a great new bill on something that you may not think is important, not, a, not one of the great political issues that we debate all the time, but something that is really, really important to the lives of millions of Californians, and that is... Uh, what happens to the hundreds of thousands of dogs and cats in particular that are in our shelters? A hundred thousand a year of them are euthanized. He wants to prevent that. He's got a bill to do that, and he's here to tell us all about it. Let's start with Susan Shelley, though. Uh, Susan, great to see you. Um, I just kind of, when, when I read this piece, actually, I, I, I don't know when, when you put it out, but I saw it yesterday. We're talking on Monday morning. Uh, this was on over the weekend. You just laid it all out so clearly. And actually, it's something that we've talked about before. Leighton Woodhouse, um, who's been on the show a couple of times, works closely with Michael Schellenberger. He, made, he was the first that brought this to my attention in terms of a specific piece of legislation that, that, that has been around for nearly a decade now that is totally hampering the fight to do anything effective about homelessness. But you really, you, you, you know, you, you had all the deeds. You came with the receipts, as they say. You had the name of the bill, what it specifically says. And so on, real detail. So let's just, you know, hand it over to you, Susan. Um, let's start with that big question. How is it that the state of California can spend $20 billion on homelessness only to make the problem worse? Well, the answer is that if you, if you diagnose the problem incorrectly and you do the wrong solution, then the problem gets worse. And then you do new legislation to address the fact that the problem is worse. And if it's on the wrong premise, it makes the problem worse. And this has been happening in California since at least 2007. 2007 is when the city of Los Angeles settled a lawsuit with the ACLU. The ACLU challenged a, a city ordinance <clears throat> that prohibited sleeping on the sidewalk. And when they did that, the city settled it and allowed sleeping on the sidewalk anywhere in the city until 1,250 units of housing were built. Well, the housing was built but the city never ended the settlement. So it is still legal in Los Angeles to sleep on the sidewalk, in a tent, anywhere in the city, overnight. But of course, nobody clears the tents during the day. So this lawsuit was settled in 2007. The problem got worse and worse and worse. And in 2016, Senator Holly Mitchell, who is now on the LA County Board of Supervisors, authored a bill to make housing first the mm -hmm. law of the land in California. This was Senate Bill 1380, and it needs to be repealed. Senate Bill 1380 made housing first the fundamental premise of every housing assistance program 
in California. And what it says is that no one can be compelled to seek any kind of treatment or services as a condition of receiving free housing from the government. So while services are provided and sobriety treatment is available, no one is required to participate as a condition of housing. Also, various other things. You can't, you can't be denied housing for reasons of credit or criminal record, and some of that probably makes perfectly good sense, but the sobriety requirement does not make sense because what we're doing is enabling addiction, just like a family member can enable mm -hmm. addiction. And the whole state of California is doing that. So this is Senate Bill 1380 from 2016. It has made everything worse. Now we build this housing, and people go into it with all their problems. And the idea was that it will help, and it has not helped. Housing, the, the homelessness problem has increased since that bill was signed, and it has not helped. And it's just causing endless taxpayer expense, and it's not getting anybody well. It's, it's incredibly important everyone understands um, what this bill does, because it is at the heart of things. I mean, this, late, as I mentioned, Leighton Woodhouse touched on it, but he, he didn't bring the details in the way that you have. SB 1380 from 2016. Um, can I just dig into it a little bit? So this is about state about the state money. Does it also apply to local services or is it just, or local housing, or is it just things All that are funded it. by the state? All of it, federal, state, and local. Every wow. housing program in California is required to comply with these housing first core fundamental premises. And one of them is no one can be required to quit drugs or alcohol or be in a program or anything. No requirements at all for housing. And the really sad thing is that this was based on a phony premise out of Utah. Utah claimed that they reduced chronic homelessness by 90% with a housing first program. But what they actually did was redefine chronic homelessness and made it go away that way. So it wasn't the housing first program that did it. It was the redefinition that decided that all of these people were no longer chronically homeless, and mm -hmm. that created a 90% reduction. But here we are in California trying this for seven years with complete failure everywhere. Yes, everything's got worse. And, and, and the reason it's such an important part of the story is that, and we've discussed this many times on this show, but for those who may, may have missed it, drug addiction yeah. is central to, the, to, to what's going on with the homelessness crisis. I mean, I saw that with my own eyes. We went and made a video documentary in Venice, um, Los Angeles, where we saw what was happening and we, we talked to a nonprofit actually that was run by someone who himself was an addict, sober for 20 odd years. He'd been on Skid Row himself. And he told us 80% of the people living on the streets are addicted to drugs. They're street addicts. They may not have been street addicts when they arrived on the street. They could have got there through all sorts of uh, unfortunate circumstances, including things that we would all have ma huge compassion for. Perhaps they lost their job and they couldn't pay the rent and they were sleeping on people's couches and then the people just said, sorry, no more. And then they ended up on the street. But once they're on the street, they are prey for criminal gangs, drug dealers who literally go tent to tent as it was described to me, getting people addicted to drugs for their business. This is what happens. They're dealers. That's what they do. And so even if you don't enter the state of homelessness as a drug addict, you pretty soon, you're pretty much guaranteed to become a street addict once you're there. And so what's happening 
is that when they're provide, I mean, this is this is the term that was used to me uh, from this guy who's actually trying a different approach, trying the sobriety approach. But of course, he's an, he can't get any state money or local money because of this law. So he's reliant on private donations. It's a nonprofit philanthropy. Um, and his point is, if you don't deal with the addiction problem, but you just give someone the housing under the housing first thing, these, and, and it could be a beautiful apartment, you know, $800,000 they cost to build, you know, in Los Angeles, some of them. Um, he said it's like having a second home because they still go back to the streets to deal drugs or to buy drugs because they haven't gotten sober. Exactly. And if you have a building that has 100 units in it and 10 people are still exactly. on drugs, it's chaos for everybody because it's bringing the drug dealers to that location and it's causing chaos for everybody. So it's a really serious problem, and it need, the law needs to be changed. The law is causing problems yes. for the yes. programs that are trying to help. The law is causing the problem. Yes, and, and you can apply that same point to, um, you know, we were talking with the mayor of El Cajon this outside San Diego, and, and he was talking about the impact on his community, where they've actually done a pretty good job dealing with homelessness of the way that the hotel, local hotels, are being turned into homeless shelters because of a voucher program pushed by San Diego County. And so they're basically transferring home, the homeless population from San Diego to his community. And there again, you so you've got, the, and that's a different, it's not, it's not housing that's been provided. It's not shelter that's been provided. It's a hotel that's been turned into a homeless thing. Guess what's happened? That his community has now had an influx of drug dealing and crime and so on. For the same reason, this bill won't allow any treatment that requires sobriety or abstinence. It, it's just, it's inc its so interesting to me how one specific thing can have such a negative impact. And it's never really discussed when we, when in the conversation about homelessness. The political conversation, the media conversation is so superficial. It's like more money for this, more money for, for shelter and housing and people. And that's why it's, it's, it's such a great way, a great example of the insidious way these kind of political branding exercises can distort the whole policy conversation. So they say housing first, housing. Who could agree with that? Of course, it makes sense. If you don't have a house, give you a house first, then we'll deal with the problem. So it sort of superficially sounds attractive. But the consequence is that the problem's never solved. Exactly. And a tremendous amount of money is being thrown at this problem, and it's wasted because... It's just causing chaos. Yes. It's just causing chaos, and, and it's it's horrible for everyone. It's not yes. helping the people on the street. It's not helping the taxpayers. It's not helping the state of California, the businesses. You know, the cost of homelessness is far more than the $20 billion that we've already spent. It's also the cost on all the city budgets. It's the cost yes. on the loss of the public transit system, which has become unusable in Los Angeles and San Francisco, partly due to this. And it's the cost on the fire departments and the police departments and the city sanitation departments and the parks department. Everybody's got costs associated with the ancillary problems that are coming from yes. homeless encampments. This has to be ended, and it can be ended. And yes, the government is choosing not to end it. Well, we've got, uh, we'll move on in a moment to some of the specific solutions that you laid out in your brilliant article. Um, but just before we leave SB 1380... You know, let's just, it's, it's another reminder of, of how, how significant this is. Just last week on the show, we were talking about Gavin Newsom's latest proposal on homelessness, which was this bond 
um, right. what was that? I can't even remember. It's three billion through a bond, and three then another billion, billion di- re- redirecting pr- right. some other, ta- you know, uh, uh, more money, right? More money from taxpayers. More money for the same. Now thing. it's accru- Now the bond will, you know, have to pay the interest and so on. But again, like, however good or bad you think his proposals are, this was all about the campus and the services, whatever. It doesn't address the fundamental point because of SB thirteen eighty. Right, because of SB thirteen eighty, anything we build, any kind of supportive housing must be on this housing first premise, which means services are down the hall, like an ice machine at the hotel, but you don't have to use it. And that causes chaos for everybody. Yes. And you and as, as you know, the practical point you made, which is so central to this, let's just imagine he's got these beautiful campuses with services and nice clean housing and safety or whatever, great. Um, but because of the SB 1380, even if like 10% of the people then, it's more actually more likely to be 80%, but whatever, even if you give it 10%, as you said earlier, are still addicted to drugs. They're going around causing mayhem, stopping those other people recovering. Um, That's right. Because of SB 1380, it is devastating its impact. It's so important, everyone. It's a re- Well, we need to repeal it. I mean, there's not much chance of that um, in the... Well, let's just talk about that before we move on. What are the... Ch- I mean, you, you're correctly saying it needs to be repealed. I mean, that's not going to happen, is it? Because this this is an ideological... Uh, position now for the Democrats, this housing first. I mean, can it be repealed through a ballot initiative? It could be repealed through a ballot initiative. It absolutely could. But, you know, we should contact Holly Mitchell's office at the L.A. County Board of Supervisors because the County Board of Supervisors is dealing with the consequences of this law that she authored in 2016. So we should just ask her if she still thinks this is working, because if she gets on board with reforming it, we would have a chance of reforming it. Oh, interesting. Well, let's reach out to her. I'd love to have her on to talk about it. Um, Let's move on to some of the other points you made about the solutions, obviously repealing this. But there were some other really fascinating points you made about mental health treatment and some of the federal moves in that area um, over the actually long period of time. Right. Well, one of the big problems is that mental health, gravely disabling mental health, is not being addressed because of a 1965 law that said, Care that's provided in a large institution is not reimbursable by Medicaid. And that means that all the indigent patients who were in state psychiatric hospitals were essentially transferred to general hospitals so the state could recoup half the money. That was was the history of it. In 2018, the federal government said the states can have a waiver from that exclusion. And California could ask for a waiver. This is called the IMD exclusion, the Medicaid IMD exclusion. And what it says is that care that's provided for mental health or substance use disorder in a facility that's larger than 16 beds could be reimbursed. Despite the law, you can have an exclusion from the, you can have a waiver from the exclusion, and you can have the funding. California needs to ask for that waiver. And Mayor Karen Bass in Los Angeles told the editorial board of the Southern California News Group, I serve on that board, that she knew about this and supported the waiver but has not asked for it. And she said that Gavin Newsom knew about it and supported the waiver and would ask for it, but it didn't happen. And so we have this proposal for $3 billion for a campus with services down the road, and this doesn't help because mental health care needs to be in a large institutional facility like a hospital. What's wrong with building a hospital? If you build a hospital, it's not subject to housing first. And people can get sober and they can get well from mental illness. They can be, they can receive the right treatment for the illness that is gravely disabling them. 
and we're not doing it. We're not doing it. So we need to ask for the IMD waiver, mm. the IMD exclusion waiver. That will fix the funding problem. Very interesting. So, let, so let's break that down. The um, key point you made there, going back to our earlier conversation, was if it's a hospital, the housing first policy doesn't apply. Right. So you can require, you can deliver abstinence-based treatment if the mental health problems are connected to drug addiction. Yes, and you can also treat severe psychiatric disorders in a, in a hospital setting, which is what we used to do in California. But people, that fell out of favor, and people thought that psychiatric drugs would be the answer in the 1960s. That was very, that was a very popular idea, that uh, prescriptions will fix everything and people can get it at a community clinic and you don't need to institutionalize people. And certainly that worked for many people, but it didn't work for everybody. Mm-hmm. And af- after we started seeing the state hospitals close for lack of patients, we saw people living on the streets. And the state hospitals closed because, th- let's go back to the 1965 law. So that's the federal law. That's, the, that's Congress signed mm-hmm. by Lyndon Johnson. I'm, right. Is that, yeah. So yes. what was the thinking? The thinking was that mental institutions were terribly old-fashioned and terrible. Mm-hmm. And um, instead of thinking, let's make them better, they thought, well, the pharmaceutical companies have these cool new psychiatric drugs, which were just emerging on the market, mm-hmm. and that's going to fix everything. Mm-hmm. But it didn't fix everything. And yet, we kept the law, we kept the exclusion. As a result, states like California have to build all these small facilities, which are much more expensive. It's more expensive to build tons of facilities with a maximum of 16 beds Mm -hmm. so you can get the Medicaid reimbursement than it is to build larger facilities where they're needed. Right Mm -hmm. now, the largest mental health facilities in California are the county jails. And that's disgraceful. That's disgusting. That's not helping anybody. And it needs to change. Well said. Um, And just to, you know, go over the history here, is this connected to Gavin Newsom's preposterous effort last week when he was (laughs) announcing all this, his latest moves on homelessness, to blame Ronald Reagan? He He was blaming Ronald Reagan during Reagan's time as governor of California. I'm going to make a guess here. Is he is he blaming Reagan for closing the, uh, the the psychiatric hospitals? But Reagan was just doing it in response to the 1965 law. Is that is that what is that the story here? That seems to be the story. I think they just want to blame a Republican because the Democrats have controlled every part of government in California for as long as anyone can remember, and these problems are on them. Yeah, they but like if them. he's saying, if he's saying, but is is that what he was saying that Reagan closed the the mental hospitals? Is that, that was that? That probably is what he's saying. But okay. that's really that's really a myth because well, he did, a, I mean maybe he did, but he was doing it in response to Lyndon Johnson's 1965 law. In response to the fact that the hospitals didn't have any patients didn't because have, the counties were moving them into general hospitals or just out to because community of the funding clinics change because of the from, funding since change since 1965, and it was right. a Democrat Congress. We know that because. Right. The Republicans didn't bring, you know, I mean, I, I don't know the exact details, but we know that the Republicans didn't control the House until Newt Gingrich and whenever it was. So you can be right. certain that it was a Democrat Congress. It was, it was clearly everybody. a de- it dem- was, Democrat it, um, president signed this 1965 law. It was everybody. It was that idea that one flew over the cuckoo's nest idea that it was just terrible mm-hmm. to have mental institutions. And and we now are seeing what happens if you don't. So you have to have, you have to find the right balance. And certainly there have to be strong due process protections so that people are not committed improperly. Mm -hmm. 
but you also have to have care for people who are gravely disabled by mental illness. This is not a new problem. This goes back to no, the, colonial, they... the colonial era in Virginia. There was a mental hospital that was built because people were wandering the landscape out of their minds, was how the colonial governor put it. And, and they were a danger to themselves and others. So this goes way back to have psychiatric hospitals for the appropriate care of mental illness when, when it's needed. These people are patients. They need to be patients, not tenants. Just walls in an apartment don't fix these problems. Yes, that's right. It's an inhuman way of thinking about it, actually. Rather than sort of dealing with the, the actual problems of an individual, you, right. you, you sort of think about it in terms of blocks of money or institutions or the house or whatever. Right? But actually, it's a, it's a human. It's, it's a human problem we need to solve. And actually, they know this. You can tell that they know this from the other things they do because... They've got this, but they keep sort of going around the problem because they, uh, like this latest thing, which was prior to the announcement last week by Gavin Newsom, his previous intervention in this area was the care courts, which was sort of, you know, tiptoeing towards requiring people to get treatment, um, which, again, that's even that modest little move in that direction was attacked by the left, and it's still being attacked by the left. I mean, it just... You hear it all the time. And then the other thing is the conservatorship um, uh, bill, which we discussed with Emily Hoven from Cal Matters. Another kind of effort to say, well, actually, some people really do need to be required to get right. treatment. Absolutely. But they, they hate sort of acknowledging that. Well, part of the problem is there are not enough beds. You hear that right. all the time. There are not enough beds. Why are there not enough beds? That gets to the IMD exclusion. If yes. you build something with more than 16 beds... You can't get Medicaid reimbursement, but we can. And I'll tell you something. It was the Trump administration that created this waiver in mm. 2018. And it could be that the Democrats just don't ever want to say that anything President Trump did was a good idea. But it was a good idea. And they should be asking for this waiver so California can get this funding. We should be building hospitals, not apartment buildings. It's fine to build apartment buildings. That's okay. But you have to get rid of this housing no, I, first No, I, I completely agree with you. I mean, look, this is what I say all the time, which is that there, we have two crises. Right. There is a homelessness crisis. There is a crisis of housing, housing availability and affordability for people who can't get on the housing ladder, who have nowhere to live, who can't live near where they work. You know, they have to commute three hours or whatever. Who, you know, parents who, whose kids can't live, who have to move out of state because they can't afford anywhere. All that's true, but there and and in this sort, in some sense, there there may be a sort of in, to use one of Kamala Harris's Venn diagrams that she loves so much. <laughs> that sort of small overlap, but actually, they're really different in the nature of them. We need, yes, we need to build lots more housing. Yes, we need to trans, you know, talk about that, and we have done, and we will do in the future. Convert more uh, commercial real estate into residential. There's loads of things we could do and should be doing to build more housing and make it mm -hmm. affordable. Yes, that's true, but the homelessness crisis is different it's more yes. extreme and because people are suffering from these extreme problems that need that they need help with well what's happening is there's a lot of corruption involved in this let's yeah. just be honest here there's a lot of corruption there are people who benefit from having homeless encampments on the street near a property that they want to develop and they take pictures of it and they say this is the current vacant condition of this lot and we're going to improve that Who's allowing those homeless encampments to be there next to the developer's wish list lot? Well, our government is doing that. And they're taking huge donations from developers <sighs> of this type of housing. And they're taking huge donations from the 
executives of the nonprofits that get the contracts for the services down the hall that the residents are not required to use as a condition of housing. Everybody's making money. And then you have the other part where you have the philosophical opponents of capitalism who think it, it's just great to have homeless encampments on the sidewalk because they think it proves their point that, that the entire Western civilization is failing. They like to say that. Well, it's not failing. It's just bad policy and the consequences of bad policy in recent years. It's not something we had in the 1950s. Yes. We have it now because of policy changes. Exactly. Brilliant, Susan. Thank you. I mean, let's just summarize. Repeal SB 1380 that was passed in 2016. Claim the IMD exclusion waiver. Exactly. Which is available now thanks to the 2018 changes put in place by the Trump administration. A local authority could do that. Gavin Newsom could do that at the state level. Doesn't require legislation. It's just something you can ask for and get right now. And that would actually, those two things, good policies to replace the bad policies, would actually do more to help tackle the homelessness crisis um, than all these billions of dollars that just seem to make the problem worse because they're not addressing the fundamental causes one of the more, problem. One more thing quickly is to build shelters and then when you have enough shelters, enforce an anti-camping ordinance. Oh, yes, that's a whole, yes, sorry. Let's just get that in because we, we are trying to be really comprehensive here. It's a great point. It's the Boise ruling. Just quickly right. explain that. Very important. There, there was a ruling that said cities cannot enforce an anti-camping ordinance unless they have enough shelter beds for everyone who wants one. So the solution for the enforcement arm of this is to build short-term and long-term shelters with enough beds for all the people who've been counted as homeless. Build shelters. And then the cities have the option to enforce an anti-camping ordinance in however they choose to do it, taking people to shelters, enrolling people in programs, however they choose to enforce it for the benefit yes. of the community so and parts. the people involved. Right. Exactly. So we, we have the to three build shelters. Part plan. Overturn yes. SB 1380, get the IMD exclusion waiver so that we can, tr we can, we can have larger mental health uh, treatment facilities and um, build shelter, including short-term shelter, which all these homelessness nonprofits oppose. Um, so that you can uh, enforce the anti-camping ordinance. When I re reference Boise, that's a Supreme Court ruling. It's a Ninth Circuit ruling. The Supreme oh, I'm so Court, sorry. The it, Supreme Court refused to hear it, but it was a 2018, 2018, yes, 2018 Ninth Circuit ruling, and it stands, and it uh, it affects the Western and states. And we talk about Boise, Idaho, and it's the Western Boise, of the Idaho, US. Yeah. right? It affects it affects I think nine Western states. And, and the ruling was you can't them. get you can't enforce the anti-camping ordinance if you haven't got sufficient shelter. Right. So, but answer, not apartments. Build, not apartments. Not a shelter. shelter. So, build right. the damn shelters. Right. Okay. Um, Susan, I think we solved that problem very comprehensively. Brilliant work on all this. We really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank um, you. Great to see you as always. Thanks, Susan. Thanks, Steve. What a great conversation. I mean, this is what this is what I love about the opportunity to talk um, on this show at length about these issues. You can actually get to the heart of it um, and actually. In the end, it's not that complicated. I mean, yes, making these changes would be complicated, working it through the system, but being really clear about these policy issues and how we can address them is just so important. And, and I really, really appreciate the work that Susan did to help us 
understand that. Right, here's someone else who's doing some very important policy work. Completely different issue, but one that a lot of people care about. Um, our friend Bill Esaley uh, from Riverside County in the state legislature to tell us about Bowie's Law. Bill, it's great to see you. Um, I think I'm going to call you Bill with the bills from now on because you're, you're such an energetic and positive legislator. Um, you, you just got there basically to the state legislature and you're just coming out with bill after bill um, addressing a whole range of problems. And this one that we're going to talk about today, Bowie's Law, um, it's about it's one of those issues that may not seem that political, but it really matters to a lot of people. Um, and I've noticed people who are really fired up about this issue. But why don't you explain what this bill is all about? Sure. And this is my most uh, bipartisan bill, put it that way. Not everything has to be so partisan and divisive. This is Bowie's law, AB 595. And I'll talk about Bowie in a second. But the law is really simple. It just says that in California, before a animal shelter can put down a healthy, adoptable pet, they have to give the public and rescue 72 hours notice to be able to save them before they get put down. Um, and it seems like, well, that's so reasonable and common sense. Like, why would you even need that law? Well, not all shelters are managed very well here. Just uh, last winter, uh, we had a little puppy, a four-month-old terrier in L.A. County shelter. And uh, a, a group reached out, a rescue said, we'd like to get him. We'd like to socialize him and have him adopted. Can I, can I just stop you there yeah. for a second? When you say a rescue, you mean a rescue group organize a rescue group that that, that that's because i think some people may not understand the difference between shelter and rescue oh yeah that's a good point so shelters are obviously what you think of as the government facilities that take in stray animals or people who surrender and that's the pound that's so the animal shelter it's the pound it's right. doggy jail if you want and then rescue groups are organizations that uh they're kind of the middlemen so they go they they adopt uh, dogs at risk of not being adopted or, or being put down and then they foster them or they hold them and they, they place them and get them adopted. Got it. Uh, but the rescues, they call themselves rescues because they, they're literally rescuing dogs and cat, cats from the shelters. So, right. uh, yeah, so uh, this rescue, it's called Underdog Rescue, and they wanted to adopt a puppy, Bowie. They sent an email to the shelter. They said, please, we, we're, we're going to get him. Please save him for us. And um, when they went to get him, it was too late. They'd already put him down. So even though they'd reached out, and they said they were going to do it. The shelter put them down anyway. Now they claim it was an oversight, it was an accident. But we hear story after story where the shelters are not really doing the due diligence or communicating with the rescues or the public, and they're just too quick to put an animal down. And so, uh, look, I get it's a reality. Um, they can't keep animals there forever. But I think it's incumbent and important that before we put a, a, a dog or cat down, that we've done everything we can, all our due diligence and make sure that um, we've tried to find them at home first. So this is just that last yeah. last piece there. I think it's it's such an interesting one. And it's it, one thing I'll just say at the outset, and then I'd love to get into some of the details. It's really striking to me, you know, we've been here 11 years now, um, but uh, moving from England, where the in England, people f think of themselves as great animal lovers. And they are. Um, but it's nothing compared to what you see here. <laughs> Nothing. And and I've really noticed that, particularly since we got dogs in our house, which was just in the last couple of years. And of course, that brings you into conversations and connections with people, with dogs and so on. And there's just this incredible love of animals, particularly dogs. And and I don't, I'm, I'm not as familiar with the world of cats, I have to be honest. But so I'm just going to stick to what I know, which is dogs. Um, and it's just really striking. It's a really central part of life. 
for 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 Americans, for Californians. It's a, and it's a beautiful thing, I have to say. So, it's not some marginal issue. It's not some trivial thing. You know, why why is our legislature bo- bo- bothering with this? It really really matters to people. It does. It matters to me personally. I have a rescue. I have a a, a dog, uh, Zoe. She's a husky that I got from a shelter, and she's been very uh, good to me. She's been, she's been uh, a very good companion and um you can tell they're grateful the ones that come from the shelter they're, they're grateful to have a loving home and they're incredibly loyal and i think in a day and time steve where we're, we're so disconnected and you know mm-hmm. got technology and social media a lot of times people can feel isolated or alone you just get a pet a dog and they, they're there for you they're there when you get home they're there when you're stressed out and uh they're great partners and zoe loves to go running with me and hiking and she's very active and and she keeps up and it's just great to have a person or not person but you know, a dog that uh, is there for you and is loyal and and uh, and trustworthy. That's not traits yeah. that are as commonplace as they used to be. I'd say. Yeah, but it's not. It's not. I mean, when you say it's sort of, you, know, you could say what well, Freudian slip there, person. But I totally understand that because our two dogs, George and Penny, George, short for Georgina. That's a very British uh, name. Our, our sons named the dogs, the two dogs. Um, they are part of the family. Uh-huh. They really, really are, and and that is true for for everyone I know who has a dog, of any kind, you know, rescue or otherwise. It's it, they are literally part of the family, and and they make a huge, huge positive impact. And, it's, and I I really hear what you're saying there. In a world where you know everyone's on screens and disconnected and this and that and the other, it's just, it's just love and warmth. It's really important. It's so important. And so all we're doing today is say, look, the dogs. My dog, your dog, they do so much for us. The least we can do is make sure that they have a chance to have a home before they're put down. And that's all this bill really does. It's just, mm-hmm. it says, look, just post on your website before you have to put them down. We know it's a reality. And that way we know we've done everything we can. And every rescue, every person uh, has the ability to intervene and adopt that that dog or cat before they do have to put down. And then yeah. we have a bigger, and really, there's a bigger issue here, Steve. I mean, we're putting down over 100,000 pets a year in California. I mean, we have- right, I was gonna, This is great. I was going to ask yeah. you about this. So what's the scale of the problem? 100,000 a year just in California. Just in California. And right. uh, we have not been uh, doing as good of a job as we should on the spay and neuter campaigns and making sure that those resources are available. Spay and neutering is probably the best thing we can do to keep the population down so we don't have overcrowding and have to put pets down. And so the other half of my bill is calling for a two-year study by the Department of Agriculture in California to see what recommendations can the state put in place to uh, solve this on a long-term scale and, and get rid of kill shelters. I, I, I think the goal should be we shouldn't have kill shelters. We shouldn't have to put any animal down for lack of space. And whether that means we need more vets or uh, more uh, availability for spay and neuters in the community, or does that mean we need more money in our shelters or education or whatever it is, Let's be smart about it. Let's do a study and let's get some recommendations and let's so, implement that. Right. So let's just get into all this. What is the what is a kill shelter? Tell, tell me about the shelter yeah. system for those who aren't familiar with it. They are they run by the state of California, Here's, local local councils. How does how does it all work? Yeah, basically, you have two types of shelters. Uh, we call them kill shelters and no kill shelters. Obviously, in every shelter, some animals do have to be put down, whether that's for health reasons, medical, or they're aggressive. So we're not talking about that. We're talking about healthy, adoptable pets. And so some shelters, they don't they don't put them down for lack of space. Some shelters run out of space, like the L.A. County shelter. They're just taking in constantly so many new pets or animals that they, they just don't have capacity. And when they run out of capacity, that's when they start euthanizing 
And, and so if it's a kill shelter, is that a choice by them? That's the, that they, 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 that's how they define themselves. It's, I'm not sure if they, it's, it's a label that they give themselves or what's assigned to them because of the practice and how mm -hmm. that's done. But it's just the reality is some shelters have the ability to um, maintain the population without having to uh, uh, kill animals. And then the bigger shelters, the like the LA counties, the world, the other big cities, it's just a reality. They don't have enough space in the shelter so that they, they're forced to uh, in their and mind. The dogs that are and, 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 and animals that are going to these shelters, they're abandoned pets yes strays pets stray it, it, that kind of thing strays and and people who surrender there are some people that um they're not the most responsible pet owners or they mm -hmm. took on more that they could handle and then they go to the shelter and they surrender so um i've heard so the, about some programs too where they try to intervene there maybe try to help that person and, and give them some mm -hmm. resources so they don't have to surrender but that's how the animals usually get in the shelter so who pays for the shelters? Are they are they operated by the government and funded entirely by government? Most of them are operated on a local level by cities and counties. There are some right. shelters that are nonprofits, um, but that's I, I would say not the norm. Uh, most of them are government run and operated. And do the shelters themselves have any operations that go directly to the end user, the providing a home for the animals, or they only work with the intermediaries with the rescues so this is part of the problem is because they're locally controlled they all do things a little differently some mm -hmm. some are really good at their website and they post all the information there so anybody can go and see what the situation is and which animals are red listed some are very difficult i've heard not, what's red listed oh red listed are the animals in danger of putting put down for lack of space so they'll actually put a list uh they voluntarily do this now it's not required by law They'll make a, a red list and say, these are our high priority uh, pets right now. And so please consider adopting one of them because they may have to be put down for space. Mm -hmm. um, and that's kind of what gave me the idea. I saw Riverside County actually does this red shelter. I'm sorry, this red listing at their shelter. And I thought, why, why don't we all do that? Um, LA County doesn't do it. And some of them give no notice. They just, they put the animal down. And what I realized is that um, some shelters, they don't want the, um, the scrutiny or the, uh, the blowback from publicly acknowledging that they put animals down. They want to do it in secret, keep it, keep it quiet because it, it, it brings a lot of attention to them. And so to, on my bill, I feel like that's what's driving some of the opposition. These shelters have taken a position against my bill. And mm -hmm. I believe it's because they don't want people to see the magnitude of the problem and, mm -hmm. and put a face to all the animals that are being put down. They think that it's going to get people too upset. And I just think that's such a wrong mindset. It's going to bring attention to the issue and hopefully resources and figure this out. They shouldn't be hiding and putting our head in the sand. We should be figuring figuring this out. Yeah, I mean, it's not their fault that they're overwhelmed. I mean, you, you, the, the, that's a combination of, of supply, as it were, um, and their, their capacity. I mean, in the sense that, you know, they're working with what they've got. Um, do they... So who's opposing it? The end of in shelter by shelter, or do you have local governments and the so, representatives who run them opposing it at the there, political level? There's an organization called Cal Animals. I just got their letter here, and they represent I think over 200 shelters across the state. So mm -hmm. this organization is is opposing it. They've taken a public position against the bill. And to your point, it's not their fault. Um, and really, what this is is a it's a public private partnership. So I'm trying, what I'm trying to do is increase transparency and the line of communication between the shelters and the public. So the public and rescues can intervene 
and help these shelters and why they're resistant. I think he's very short-sighted. Um, a lot of times uh, I see these shelters and rescues, they get into a power play and nobody wants to be told what to do or how to do it. So, mm -hmm. but, but in the middle of this, our, our dogs and cats are being put down. I think that's really where the focus should be and where um, our attention should stay is helping our furry mm -hmm. friends. By the way, is it just dogs and cats? Uh, I believe so for the most part. Uh, th that's the biggest issue. I, I mean, there are yeah. some, some other types of animals, but they usually have special kinds of rescues that will take exotic pets. Exotic, okay. Uh, but the dogs and cats are the biggest need. So you mentioned the 100,000 a year that are, that are euthanized. What's the total population in shelters? Is there an estimate of that? I don't have the numbers on hand and what the total numbers. I will tell you 100,000 is an improvement. Apparently back in the 90s, we were putting down over 500,000 animals. Ooh. And uh, there was a law passed in the 90s, the Hayden uh, law that put some rules in place. And the numbers have dropped, but we're still at 100,000. It's still a lot. Mm. Um, some states, I, I don't think, have the same issue. They don't put any pets down. And I heard some countries don't either. So there are models out there. And if we make this a priority, I think we can end kill shelters across the state. So let's look at the rescue side of it. I mean, what's, the, what's that network like there? I mean, this is presumably a, a kind of, you know, in, in a sense, a market of local you know sometimes very small i'm just trying to imagine you know it could yeah. be a non-profit could be just a really tiny operation sometimes bigger how just describe that world for us a yeah little bit. it's it's a hodgepodge of different things but you can have individual rescues i mean literally it's a person who mm -hmm. you know on the on their own they have a big property maybe and they, they they do it or it's a sophisticated large organization so you have from small actors to large actors but really, they're, they're individuals who care about animals and saving them. And like I said, they're a middle, they're a middle man or woman between the shelters and the public. So they will get the animals out that are in danger being put down immediately. They'll put mm -hmm. them within their own facilities or their own rescue. And then some animals need some training. They need some socializing. They'll nurture them. And then they'll also find them a, a home, a permanent home, hopefully for adoption. The other big thing that's going on now is fostering. People don't even know this. You can foster a mm -hmm. pet, so maybe you're not ready for that long commitment, but you could take the pet on temporarily just until they find a home for them. And so that's a big thing rescues are engaged now is finding foster, fostering, uh, foster parents, if you will, uh, for them while they try to locate a permanent home. All we're trying, all they're trying to do really is buy time uh, to to save their lives, um, and that's mm -hmm. what these rescues are doing. And so. Why shelters, you know, don't embrace that or work with them? I, I again, I, I don't understand. I think it, it comes down to maybe a power play between the two groups. And is there an equivalent organization to Cal Animals that that, that sort of brings together all the different rescues? No, I'm not. I, I haven't heard of one yet. I don't. I don't think there's this one as big as or sophisticated as Cal Animals. I mean, Cal Animals is big. Um, uh, it, it's government funded, and they have their own lobbyists. So they actually have a lobbyist that works full time up here <laughs> in Sacramento, they and they yeah. go door to door. We don't have that luxury. I got I got animal lovers and rescues that are calling their state legislators and 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 lobbying, if you will, themselves. And this is really a bigger conversation, Steve. We can have about this. Most lobbyists up here are purely special interests. There is no lobby group out here for your average citizen, me and you, or the people. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's really my job, I guess, as the elected is is to is to lobby on your behalf. But we are inundated day day out with lobbyists pushing special interest, and nobody yes. does that for for the regular people. Well, we talk, we talked about that. I remember with Kevin Kiley a while back. It's called the is it the third house? They call it. They call it the third house. I it's, don't it's like that term. It's offensive. Well, it's it's too um, dignifies it, does it? Is yeah. That the problem. Yeah. 
a third house of government. There you go. Yeah. Um, on the on the on the on the on the question of the um, uh, going back to the animals specifically, can you just explain about the spaying and the and the neutering and how that fits in? Yeah. Um, because I just feel like there's some there's some questions there I have. How because are you talking about the ones that are in the shelters? In and or... out the shelters, what we're seeing is that. Um, Spaying and neutering isn't as widely available as it used to be. I mean, remember, everyone remembers Bob Parker on uh, Price is Right. Always ends. Remember, spay and neuter your pets. But it's becoming harder to get those services. And some of the uh, shelters I talked to said they have a shortage of vets to do the operations. Um, there's a cost issue where some communities it's too expensive. And so they, they, they don't do it. Um, do you mean the shelters don't do it or owners don't do it? Owners don't do it. I mean, if your right. animal isn't spayed or neutered, it's it's your responsibility to do that. Yeah. And so if the services aren't available or too, too expensive, they won't do That's it. That's what I mean. So the, so, the, so you're talking about the, the, as it were, the not uh, in this part of the conversation, we're not talking about the stock of animals that are in the shelters. We're talking about the flow of animals into the shelters because, for example, someone may not have spayed or neutered their, their, uh, their pet and therefore... There's more, you know, they, they, they have a litter or whatever, and then they don't know what to, then they sort of abandon them. Is that the right. kind of process you're talking about? And if you animal, they breed in the wild, and, and it's important. I'm sorry, say that again. I didn't quite oh, hear what you said. Or they, they breed in the wild, uh, you know, like stray cats. I mean, they're just I see. Yeah. litter after litter. And so, but it's important for the shelters too, because when they capture them, they want to spay and neuter them as well before they re-release mm -hmm. them. So mm -hmm. it's a big issue. So one of the things that my study wants to look at is, is uh, do we need more vet schools in California? Or maybe we have vet tech, so you're not a full-fledged veterinarian. Maybe you're just trained and you could just do a special procedure of the spay and neuters to make vet it work. Actually, that's very clever. Yeah, vet tech. It's a bit like we're seeing that with nurse, you know, the, I mean, yeah. there's an analogy with nurse practitioners doing things that, the, but of course the doctor's lobbyists don't want that because it means that they don't get paid. And they want to keep the prices up for the doctors to do it. Um, so I bet we'll have the same dynamic with the vets. Ugh. Um, what? How does that? Where, where is that in your bill? Can you remind us? So the second part of the bill calls for a study. Oh, the study. Yes, it's that's the right. study. Yeah, yeah, you so, mentioned look, I'm not an expert, you know. And so what I'm saying is, let's let the experts look at this issue, do the mm -hmm. do the do the studying, and then make recommendations to the legislators on what we can do to solve this crisis. And okay, uh, I just. We're just chatting about some of the solutions that have been, uh, you know, discussed. So let's just, I've got two questions to close it out. First of all, um, uh, I'm gonna, a challenge actually, which is I'm going to, I'm going to end with asking you to remind us of the elements of the bill and how people can support it and get involved. But before that, what about those who may challenge this just from a general point of view? Say, oh my goodness, aren't there enough bills? There are kind of thousands of bills that the legislature pushes out. Do we really need legislation on this uh there's too many bills as it is well uh this reminds me of uh of when we opened our law school we there's a famous story clarence thomas came out and be, he said you may be wondering why we're celebrating opening a law school unleashing you know hundreds thousands of more lawyers out there because the <laughs> issue isn't that uh it's not that we need more lawyers or more bills here it's that we need more good lawyers in this case we need more good bills so i think it's more about the quality of the bills than the quantity and I agree, we're not a bill factory, but in this case, there is a need. Um, th there's a clear need, and that's why the law is named after Bowie. Bowie's a great example. It's a story. If you watch the video on Bowie, you'll pull your heartstrings. You see this poor, innocent puppy cowering in a shelter. And there was a loving hand reached out to take him and adopt him. And just because of bureaucratic carelessness or mm -hmm. incompetence, 
he was killed. And what really struck me is how unnecessary and avoidable that was. And so all mm -hmm. this bill does is it tries to put some safeguards in place. Um, our pets do so much for us. I think it's the least we could do for them is just make sure they have a chance at life. So I, I agree. There's a lot of bills, but there's a lot of not good bills. And I would say this is a great bill. Yeah, well, it tends. I think we could, as, as, a, as a rule of thumb, the bill bills, as it were, those that come from you, tend to be pretty good. So this is another <laughs> one, example of that. Thank you so much. Well, if people want to find out more or follow up or get involved, what should they do? Yeah, just you can reach. Honestly, the best thing to do is call your state elected. You can Google uh, Bowie's Law AB five nine five. You'll see all the information there, and then reach out to your state assemblyman and senator here in California. And let them know that you support the bill or maybe set up a meeting and talk to them about it. Like I said, there's so many bills, there's so many issues. We just want to get it on their radar and let them know that uh, the people support this. We don't have a lobbyist, but we have, we have you, the public. Fantastic. Thank you, Bill. Great to see you as always. Thank you. Thanks for having me. There you go. Love that conversation. Uh, isn't he great? Um, Thank you so much for joining us here on The Steve Hilton Show. I uh, hope you appreciate uh, all these guests that have such interesting and informative things to say. I, I know I really enjoy talking to them. Um, make sure you follow us, of course, on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, wherever you get your podcasts. And we'll see you back here soon for the next episode of The Steve Hilton Show.